Buenos días, this is... Podemos hablar... Con Alex E. And Chris V. Chris, I think there's someone else with us. Oh, is there? Uh, is there? Hey, y'all. <gasps> did, did you hear that? <laughs> I don't know who that was. <laughs> we got a podcast ghost. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this is the first podcast where we're being haunted, um... Halloween special. Spooky! It's who? It's me! It's Prisma. Prisma? Wow, so we have a really special guest with us today, Prisma. Um, and with that being said, Prisma, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, so I'm Prisma. I am the coordinator at the Asian Pacific American Cultural Center, and I love podcasts, and I heard this one, and I had to be in. So here I am. Nice. Uh, we're so, we're so influential. We already have our first guest. <laughs> it took us three episodes, but we got there. We really did. People actually listen to this. Um, She's not here against her will. Mm-mm. Our subscriber. <gasps> wow. That means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we're going to get right into this episode pretty fast. But as you know beforehand, I'm Chris. Um, I'm a third year student at the University of Iowa. I work uh, as a Programming Assistant at the Latino Native American Cultural Center. Yeah, Alex. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex. Um, still the same Alex E. from the last two episodes. I work at the LMAC as well. Um, and lots of other things. For sure. We're not going to do our whole spiel. Because <laughs> that's a lot. Um, I feel like I realize that it's kind of long. But anyway... Um, we're bringing back the segment from last week's episode, um, but changing it up a little bit to what media are we consuming? What have we been doing? Um, yeah, Prisma, if you just want to tell us. Mm-hmm. I am reading two books right now. One is On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vong. Um, and the second one is The Last Time I Saw Mother. I can't remember who wrote that. Ooh. That first book's been on my reading list for a while it's definitely a deep read very very beautiful um a lot about masculinity sexuality some intergenerational trauma immigrant experience it is definitely one of the best books i've read well that's good um it sounds kind of intense um it's intense Um, but if you're like ready to do it and have someone to digest it with then it's um it's worth it. Chris, what are you consuming? What am I consuming? That's a that's a good question. Um, you know, I haven't really switched up from last week's episode. I have watched the day after tomorrow again. But um I think today, like specifically, um I have been listening to said something, uh with the city girls and i'm gonna just say just the city girls because i feel like that's the only verse that matters to me is jt's verse in the beginning that is i've listened to it like three times today and i restarted it every time jt's verse is over um but i feel like that song has been really sitting with me 
Sitting with me good. Uh, how about you, Alex? Mm, I'm also listening to some stuff. Um, I'm going to plug my hubby real quick. Omar Apollo, his Apollonio album, debut album. So, so good. So, so good. So many bangers. Um, yeah, if you do not know Mr. Omar, please go um, give him a listen. No, really, we should all be listening to that. So let's get right into this topic of today. Um, we're going to be talking about the duality of biculturalness um, and what it means to experience um, more than one culture. Uh, but before we get like deep into that, um, we're just going to talk about how we self-identify. Um, and Prisma, if you want to start off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I am... Half white and half Mexican. White on my mom's side and Mexican on my dad's side. And Alex? I am the same. I have a Mexican dad and um, a white mom. Wow, so um, I also have the same experience. Um, <laughs> I have a Mexican father and a white mother. Wow, I wonder if that says something about Mexican men. Oh, I'm not going to comment any further on that. Talk about that. <laughs> We'll get more into that later. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like, it's interesting having that dynamic. And I know that I've mentioned this to y'all, but like my family um, was separated when I was pretty young. My parents got divorced when I was like seven. So like I never got to see like my parents really together like that. Um, And if I did, it's kind of like a distant memory. So now most of my memories are them separated. Um, so, I don't know, I don't know, and ever since then, my, my father's never been with another white woman before, <laughs> or white woman, so, I don't know what that, what that marriage did, but <laughs> it definitely is not that anymore. I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat, because I was raised with both parents, but now my dad is married to a Mexican woman. And I feel like there was a complete switch in the way that he interacts with her than how he interacted with my mom. Um, definitely some cultural changes in that in that switch. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like with my dad too, like he, he definitely switched up how he acted. And I think that like, I mean, maybe he just, he. I feel like he was more more himself almost um and like i know we'll, probably, we'll most likely bring this up later but like assimilate he assimilated i feel like like reverse <laughs> so like he was super into american culture um but then when he remarried a mexican woman like his identity or like his actions really shifted towards him being solely mexican versus american too yeah yeah definitely with that so we have a few things to talk about um and as we kind of mentioned we all experience some form of like biculturalness or like we have experienced like whiteness and then also connections to our like our latino sides um and i know that that prisma and i have talked about this for almost like since my freshman year so two years ago we'd mentioned white sayings and how we use different words for things and kind of get clowned but also like i appreciate it because i think i also think they're funny 
But if you want to say some of them, Prisma. Yeah, like Goofball, Silly Goose, Ding Dong. Think of any other ones. I know we've just like laughed about those because they just come out so naturally. Like, oh, you're such a silly goose. And everyone's like, what is a silly goose? Exactly, and it, it doesn't mean anything <laughs> like that. Like, I like I, I when people ask me like, what is it? I'm like, I don't really know what it is, but I know how to use it, and I definitely got that from my mom. And nowhere else. Because my dad does not say silly goose. Um, ever. <laughs> but my mother does for sure. Um, and I think that like that really came up just through her calling me and my sister that growing up. And like playing games with us. And like, like oh you're such a silly goose. And I'm like ha 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 yeah like that's normal. Um, and I feel like when I got to like high school... No one said that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, like, mentioning my high school was primarily people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, y'all face people who don't, like, really know what these, like, sayings are, like, in terms of spaces with other, like, Latinos or... I feel like... I didn't get called out on anything that I say until I came to college. So when I was in high school, um, it was it was probably I think it's like the largest high school in Iowa, East High School. My dad actually worked at the school, so everybody knew him. And so he was picking up lingo like that all the kids were saying, and everybody knows him. So like Ale actually came to Iowa and knows my dad, and that's just such a weird dynamic for me. But um, it wasn't until I was here and I would be in the LMAC and I would say things where I felt like the culture was so dominantly like Latinx, like everyone was like a hundred percent and I was like, Oh, I'm over here at 50. And then it, I would notice it cause they would call me out for things I would say or like things I would do. Um, or like I would mention things about holidays or food or like someone would say something about white people. And I was like, Oh, that's me. Like hide in the corner. Like they caught me. I'm the imposter. That's funny. I feel like I had the opposite experience coming to college. Um, because, like I mentioned, like that kind of happened to me in high school. Um, but then also, like, at that point, too, like in high school, I ended up moving in full-time with my father. Um, and I worked at his restaurant, um, which is a Mexican restaurant. Shout out, El Taco Loco. It's in Minnesota, um, <laughs> in Minneapolis. But I think for that, like, like, growing up in that setting, too, in high school and then primarily speaking Spanish there and like I felt like I built a lot of um or like my culture was just centered around being Mexican and not really being white so coming to the LNAC like the way I feel like I interacted and spoke to like students there like people assumed I was 100% Mexican because of the way that I carry myself and which like wasn't intentional it was just like the culture that I grew up in in like late high school so then i think coming here people just assumed that i was i was fully mexican um because of the way i talk and like speak on things do you feel like at any point you had to share that you were half um never had to but i feel like when i when i did mention it like i'd be like oh like my mom's white so she did this or like i would be telling a story and i feel like i did kind of explain that um Mm -hmm. to give like context to certain stories and people, I feel like people are always be taken aback, like, wait, you're half white? Or, like, people, even, like, friends that I've, like, been close to for a while, they're like, sometimes I just forget. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say to that. But 
I definitely feel like sometimes I do explain it because it wouldn't make sense without explaining it. See, for me, I feel like it was the complete opposite, especially when I started like going to the LNAC and these like heavily Latinx spaces. Because um, for the listeners, if like y'all haven't seen me, no one on this earth, well, no one I feel like in the U.S. would confuse me with like being Mexican. Like I'm obviously very white, and so um, I feel like coming to those spaces that just saying like I'm Mexican or, or like my dad's brown or like yeah I just felt like I don't want to say like necessary like I'm trying to like one of those people who like brings up their like ethnic some sort of ethnic side of their family like at any opportunity you know like oh my like you know great 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 grandma was whatever part whatever but I definitely felt like I don't know the feel like maybe I belong more just to introduce that to people um yeah and then like kind of going off of like what we were saying about coming into college and that experience I know for me like I felt like I kind of developed like a form of like code switching and the way I speak really um in late high school and early college because I realized that, like, I can't speak to my white family the same way I do, like, my Latino family and also with Latino friends. Um, I feel like that was such a big shift for me in that, like, I don't know. Like, even, like, like, a lot of the words that I use, including, like, Spanish words, like, my white family is like, what is that? And... I get like hyper I feel like hyper hyper racialized into being like something that I'm not I don't know um and I think that it gets really pushed on me that like heavily on my white side that I'm like Latino and they're like you're Mexican which I am and I accept that and I fully engage with that but I think that they like really separate themselves from me that's for me. I feel like there's so many, like this. I think what you're getting at is like this biculturalism, this like mixed part is like a lot more complicated. Like we have like the skin color, but there's also like the language and the lingo. And then like just in terms of like nationality and like citizenship, and like there's just so many layers that I feel like, even like for us three, that like on paper is like very similar, you know, backgrounds can result in a wide variety of experiences. Yeah, I think when you're talking about like your college experience, we've already gone into how different it was and how different we present ourselves and maybe how other people perceive us. And I think even just in the way we grow up can be so different on how your families address it. So I wasn't like, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. I didn't feel like an outsider when I would go to my white grandparents' house. And I didn't necessarily feel like an outsider when I went to my Mexican family's house. But I always knew that my house was totally different than both of those. Like, my house was its own. Um, that was just a mix where, like, one night we would eat, I don't know, like, some type of casserole. And then the next night, 
we would eat enchiladas. Like, it was just so different to even just be able to, like, name it. I don't think we ever named it. So when do you think, like, you kind of learned that you were, like, different, if that makes sense? Because for me, I have the same experience of, like, when I was younger, like, the fact that, you know, I had, like, brown family members or that I had, like, family with, like, a wide, super wide range of skin colors, you know, and experiences, and, like, that wasn't something I questioned, but then, like, growing up in, uh, like, entirely white high school and um, that experience, I feel like, sort of racializes your experience as well, and so I feel like that was when um, I started to have, like, identity issues versus, like, when I was younger, they were just, like, non-existent. I feel like, really, I didn't experience this, like, I don't know if you would call it an identity crisis, but, like, an understanding of my identity of being half and half when I came to college. Um, so, like, of course, I had, like, the mi the microaggressions in elementary school and, you know, the comments in middle school, high school. Like, I knew my family um, had their ideas about me and the way I spoke Spanish. And I knew that there were things we had to navigate with my white grandpa and how he perceived people of color. Like, there were all these instances where, of course, we talked about things and I understood that. But I don't think I really understood what it meant to have multiple racial ethnic identities until I got to college. And I really don't think it happened until I had deeper conversations with two of my really close friends that are biracial. And then they would share experiences then I would share mine, and then that's when we would just get into these really deep conversations. Um, and that's when I really started to look into and understand and, like, delve into... Like, oh, 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 he started. <gasps> we have another dog? <laughs> we have another dog. Y'all, Alex's dog is on timeout. <laughs> we... <laughs> He's still alive, though. Oh, yeah, it's confirmed. Yeah, um, I did end up seeing him on camera for two seconds at one point. Um, only time. But, wow, another special guest. Uh, woo! That is pretty cool that we've had two dogs on the show already, or on the podcast already. Yeah. What is us? What is it about us and dogs and yeah. interrupting our podcast? I think that's, that's the real episode. question. I think that's what we need we to dive get, into. We need to get Tamale to interrupt the next episode. I agree. That is Chris's dog for everyone. Okay, so I don't know where I left off, but basically when I was getting into these conversations in college and really trying to understand my experiences and recalling them, that's when I, that's when I started really understanding yeah, see, that that's pretty interesting to me because I felt like, um, like I mentioned earlier, like, I had that a lot in high school in that, like, people, and at this point, too, like I mentioned, like, I had lived with my father for such a long time within, I think, years that were really important to, like, identity. So, like, freshman year, sophomore year of high school, 
and I kind of just self-identified as Mexican when people asked me. So I think that in general, in that sense, I was just racialized as Mexican in high school. So I guess like I feel like I didn't really like talk about my whiteness like that, which also is a whole nother, another topic. But I feel like I, I kind of just identified with Mexican, and I, uh, and in high school too, I began to realize like how, how white <laughs> my white side was and how racist they were. I know that I've, I've mentioned this before, but like they have always said things to me about being Mexican and how like they're essentially the better race and it's like I don't know where you're, where you're coming at which is always such an interesting dynamic for me because then I go to my dad's side and it's like like they don't even <laughs> they don't comment on like race like that um and they don't comment on me like that so I think that that's pretty it's pretty interesting how we've both developed like our understandings of it because I feel like my understanding of my white side has never been necessarily like positive um and like I know we have like our sayings that are like like goofball and things like that which are are lighthearted. but then I feel like at the same time I've never really experienced like super positive love um from my white side if that makes sense but yeah yeah that makes sense yeah, I think that's interesting because I feel like it was always my brown side who, um, like, talked about color and were, like, a little bit colorist to themselves and, like, other family members. Um, I definitely can only speak from a perspective of knowing it from knowing family members who are brown or, like, mixed race versus, like, me, like... I am white, like, I do not identify as mixed race. I, like, identify as coming from, like, a mixed family, but I myself am clearly white. Um, but, yeah, I think my family was just in a position when, um, like, anything Mexican was, like, dis- like, disgusting and hated, and so... Like, I'll give it to them. They've done a really good job of, um, you know, whitening themselves up, like, to the point where some, like, some branches on my dad's side are, like, you know, almost entirely white. And um, I think that's resulted into, like, um, pretty tangible colorism, I feel like, versus um, in terms of my interactions with my white side of the family. See, I find that pretty interesting because, um, like, I, off assumption, I'm assuming, like, a lot of your, your dad's side of the family is in the United States now, um, and where I feel like mine, a lot of mine is just my dad and, like, like, three cousins are in the United States while the rest of them are in Mexico, um, and, like, talking about whiteness for them isn't a thing in Mexico, because they just, they're just (laughs) chilling and they're like, yeah, like, we're here. Um, and it should be noted that, like, most of my family in Mexico, um, are brown, um, and aren't, aren't necessarily white Latinos, so when they talk about, like, whiteness, they don't really, like, it doesn't, it's not really a thing for them. It's more of, we just kind of, we exist as our own culture, 
there. Um, so it's kind of, it's definitely different for me. Right, and yeah, most of my family has been in the U.S. for like a while. So even to the point where to call them like Mexican for some is kind of like an insult. Um, I was talking this later that uh, the town that they're in, that most of my family is located, was not very Mexican when they first got there. And there's been a lot of recent like immigration to the point where it's like majority Latino. And they make it a point to say that they're not like those Mexicans. They're like different. Um, but I think that really like kind of speaks to how, especially in the U.S., people are and how I kind of saw my Mexicans, you know, family in that there's one specific way that Latinos and um, like Mexicans are racialized and seen of in the U.S. And I think I kind of saw myself and my family and I like compared it to that standard. And I think that often presented like conflicts because in a lot of ways, like my family did not meet that kind of way people are racialized in the U.S. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that with like with being um in the United States, like it's such a different experience and I know for me um kind of going off what you mentioned about like again like assimilating when I was growing up, like we did celebrate like holidays like like Thanksgiving, Christmas, like Easter, all of those um and then like well i did mention like my dad didn't necessarily act like american he still kind of followed those um after my parents got divorced and he really did like celebrate <laughs> thanksgiving fully and i'm just like that's so weird to me because he never grew up with it his whole life and then coming to the united states he was like no like we're gonna celebrate this genocide holiday which to also bring up, like, Thanksgiving, came up from genocide, uh, gross holiday, but, like, my dad kind of hopped on to, like, what Americans do. So I find that really interesting, and same thing with Christmas, and, like, the holiday season, like, he hopped on to Christmas, of all things, and, like, Christmas is celebrated in Mexico, but it's definitely different, but he definitely hopped on the American setting of Christmas, and I think that I've always, like, looked at it and gr I've always grown up with it. So I didn't necessarily know it was weird until I feel like I came to college. And I was like, wait, people outside of, like, <laughs> my family, there are a lot of Mexicans in the United States or Latinos in the United States who don't celebrate American holidays. I was going to say that I definitely resonate with the holiday thing. And I think it's part of this idea that you either want to or need to acculturate and like really need to define yourself as an American if you're in this country. Um, and I think in some aspects, my family would celebrate these holidays because it was exciting for them to like gather around and do what their neighbors were doing and do what their friends at work were doing and celebrate these holidays. And it was, I don't know, it was just like a new experience. It was a new, you know, way of life and doing certain things. I think we could definitely get into, like, the religion aspect of it, too. So when you think about some of these holidays, like Easter, 
on the white side, like my brown family would show up and we would do the bunny and we would do like the hunt and uh, have our little baskets and stuff. But also leading up to that, like on Fridays, don't be eating meat. And so it was kind of just like a blend of, of all these aspects of um, the holiday you would have celebrated and then this new like American I guess they would call it type of holiday experience and I don't know I think my family still does it like my brown family would show up to my white family's house and it was like they barely could talk to each other but it was just they wanted to be together my grandma loves green bean casserole and she tries to make her own version of it and it just doesn't turn out so she always asks me to make it um but I think the holiday thing for me was a little bit fun because it was just that time where all my families got together and we just made our own celebration. I definitely get that. Um, how it's like a mixture because for me, um, I feel like both sides definitely participated in that more kind of commercial type of celebration. Especially, just Christmas is a good example how. But I feel like the spirituality was definitely more ingrained into, like, my brown side of the family versus, like, the white side. It was definitely just, you know, kind of a show, like, just the Christmas tree, just, like, the thing of going through presents. But, like, that, um, like, the religious undertones were definitely not there like it was for my Mexican family. Like, I remember... Yeah, like how we would, there was like some really late mass, mass in Spanish, like Christmas virtual, I forget what it's called, but it, it like it would last for hours and hours and it'd be like super late. But yeah, I think it's just interesting how that assimilation, because I definitely get what Christmas said of just like this quickness to like once you're in the US to kind of adopt things. Because I, I like for my family, within one generation, dropped like being able to uh, speak Spanish natively um like my dad does not speak Spanish but also like in that effort to assimilation you kind of like make a thing that's uniquely like its own like it's not um like the customs and traditions are like so different from my white family but also at the same time they're not like analogous to maybe some of my friends who've you know either grown up in some part in Mexico or who had most of their family grew up grow up in Mexico it's like its own unique like Mexican American experience if that makes sense yeah I think it does and I think that like like you mentioned like you kind of have a, a unique experience too where like you have family members who have been here generationally um well like, for me, like, my dad came here when he was 18, and I've mentioned that, I think, in the last podcast, maybe earlier in this one, too. Um, but uh, my experiences with that is that, like, my my father, like, didn't really teach me Spanish either. And I think the, re- the way I learned it was through his restaurant and um, also through my stepmom, um, who my father remarried. She doesn't speak any English. So, really, like, any form of communication with her had to be in Spanish. Um and I think that was the reason, like, that the language kind of passed down to me. And I know with me me and my, my sister, at least, um, which I think is pretty interesting, whenever we go to Mexico to visit my family, me and my cousins would, and my sister, we would teach each other 
like the language. So we would teach my cousins um, English and they would teach us Spanish. And I think that was a big thing where like I'm once again bringing up like I connected to my Latino side a lot and felt like that love and appreciation where I didn't really feel that necessarily from my white side. I think connection to like the homeland, like quote unquote homeland is like important too. And cause I, I remember a really distinct conversation that I had with my grandma where I asked her, would she ever want to go back to Mexico? And like, she said no. And like the way she like said it was like, she would never set foot there, you know, in her lifetime. And, um, I think that's just striking, too, because that's definitely, I feel like, how the rest of my family feels. And I think part of why it was so easy for everyone to lose their Spanish to the point where it's really just the older generation. And it will probably, like, die out, unfortunately. I think the Spanish conversation is so interesting to get into um, because there are so many people that are out there saying, like, I'm just going to be like, I'm going to throw my kid in the trash if they don't speak Spanish. And that's so problematic. Um, But I think for people like me who really wish that I would have like grown up speaking more Spanish and I would have retained more Spanish and that I wouldn't have had to go to school in order to learn Spanish. um, Like it's disheartening um, that I lost that aspect, but I, I don't know. I don't think it disconnects me from my culture that much. Um, like there are definitely times where I wish I spoke better, but I don't like the fact that people say that if you don't speak the language, you're not enough of that ethnicity. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. Um, I definitely think you are. My bad, Alex. (laughs) But, um, I know that I've had, I've had a lot of friends, um, like at Iowa, like not speak Spanish. How? they a lot of the time feel ostracized by, like, the Latino-American community and not necessarily their own family. Like, their own family is like, yeah, like, we don't care that you don't speak Spanish. We're still going to try and talk to you. Versus I think that a lot, a lot of Latino-Americans are very, like, prideful and maybe, like, even more prideful than their family members are who aren't necessarily, like, first-generation immigrants are, like, more prideful within, like, their culture slash language. And I, I kind of find that really interesting, too, because we see like a surge of like Latino Americans being extremely pro Latino while they're also American and like they don't really speak on their American experiences either. That's how I feel like for even like my older family members, like even having an accent, like speaking in or like a broken English, you know, was something that's, you know, so shameful um, and something to like be avoided in terms of not wanting your kids to have that. But I definitely get like in college was an environment where that Spanish was um, so embraced, which was, like, incredibly different from how I grew up. But I also think it's, like, important. I feel like when I was growing up, like, how knowing Spanish was kind of, like, racialized. And I remember when I was younger thinking that, like, some family members were, like, less Mexican you know, just because they couldn't speak it. But you're, like, critiquing people of color who've, like, had this... Like, the language is just one part of this experience that folks have had. And I think it took me a while to realize that it wasn't, like, the end-all be-all for um, being Mexican. And even, like, white people being native speakers of Spanish and they're being purely European Mexicans. Like, that, for me, 
was like kind of re- like revolutionary and like something I didn't learn till later on because I think like growing up in the U.S. I had seen that as you know how everyone else racializes how like mainstream society racializes Latinos. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting too that you mentioned like whiteness in that. Like I'm very like candid with like my skin tone. Like I I reap a lot of benefits from being light skin and like I'm not brown and I don't necessarily self-identify as white either. So I think that like for me I was kind of put in a complicated like thing where growing up like I didn't really know like what to call myself. And like I mentioned like I self-identify just as Mexican but like that's not a Mexican is an ethnicity, it's not a race, right? So I feel like I've always struggled, like, racially, like, I don't know what to categorize myself as, because I have been racialized in the past before, but then I've also been told, like, oh, like, no, you're just white. So I feel like I've been, I've always, like, been just unsure. Like, it's not like I'm questioning it, I'm just, like, unsure of, like, the words that I would racialize myself as. Yeah, I think, especially recent discourse involving, like, white passing, I, like, have problems with that term but i feel like a lot of that discourse has discredited people who are not white but maybe like identify themselves as white because of this like i don't know if that's kind of what you're getting that but i definitely feel like at least in terms of my family there's some people who would not be seen as white but who because of like a lot of recent discourse in terms of like white passing and being like a person of color like would call themselves white and i just think it's really interesting what like the discourse that's been happening recently yeah i think like what you mentioned like it's it is really a discourse and i've seen it a lot like i know i always talk about it on twitter um (laughs) and you know like i think that white passing people like are are white you know but i also think that like it can be deeper than that and that like yes regardless like i do benefit from like white supremacy and things like that uh but then i'm also like i get pushed in to where like i'm thinking like am i racialized how much am i racialized and am i taking up space by like self-identifying as a person of color you know um in which i don't want to do um but at the same time like i've mentioned like i am racialized so i don't really know where i go with that I think those questions are so important and so hard to find the answer to. So like when people talk about like just general, like white people, like, oh, that's that's what white people say. Like, that's what white people do. That's a white people thing. And to really have to, like, take a look at yourself and try to understand the privileges that you've gotten from being white, um, regardless of if you look at it or not, like there are just certain things about whiteness that, that we benefit from. Um or like having a parent born and raised in the United States. It's, I didn't truly understand most of that until I was in college and I was really looking at these like issues and delving into them and what it actually means to be white and um, to like acknowledge that and take a critical lens at that and like maybe views my parents had or like my mom had and how that translated to my sister who's fully white and the interactions that we have with each other or how she interacts with people um and how she like just randomly brings up the fact that she has a brown dad and a brown sister or like how we interact in spaces together when she's white and we're brown and I have a white niece like it is um 
it's definitely a weird kind of space to be in. And I remember this summer we were having conversations about um, race and we had to get into little caucuses, meaning like you get into a group of people that identify in a similar way. And it was like, okay, well now I have to pick the brown side or like the people of color group and I, or I have to pick the white group. And there are definitely different conversations that need to be had in each. And finally, we, I was like, no, we need to create a group that's for biracial, multiracial people because there are so many different thoughts and questions and themes that we need to like delve into and talk about and really discuss with people that have similar experiences um, as we do. I feel like just how the U.S. has historically conceptualized race is so anti this concept of like mixed race or like multiculturalism versus learning about like Latin American countries, I feel like is the complete opposite. But in terms of like, I feel like specific policies that where like the strict white, black, strict like race boundaries were like necessary to implement these. And I feel like that's just resulted in modern day, you know, thoughts and understandings that resist, I feel like a full acceptance of this by culturality yeah and i think we could always we could go so much deeper into like how culture and race was created within the u.s and was essentially solely created for racist reasons um and for white people to benefit from them and it's really interesting because um it's always it's very much like you mentioned like a black and white thing and it's like how how are we a part of that when it's not that simple for us and how do we maneuver that? And I think that, like I mentioned too, like within college, like I really identify and identified and identify as just Mexican when I speak about things. And I think that like it shows within what I do on campus um, when we're involved in. And like I mentioned, like I'm I'm in a Latino fraternity. I work at the Latino house. I'm a general member of uh, the Association for Latinos Moving Ahead. You know, I'm not in like a quote-unquote like white org and I think that's pretty pretty interesting how like I kind of categorize myself like that without intention but just like I've always just identified with like my Latino side more. I feel like whiteness in college is just so much different than whiteness before college for me um, in particular like when I came here I don't think I had a choice whether I was gonna identify as Latina or if I was gonna identify as white like for me to just go and join a white group didn't really seem possible. And so like, while sometimes I didn't feel like I was fully worthy of being maybe in like Alma or something, the alternative was nothing. Like I didn't have another group to be in. And there wasn't at that point, like a multiracial group. So I think it's just interesting for you to say that because my, my relationship with it was just totally different when I came to college I didn't have I don't have the choice here to be white nor do I well I'll just stop there just what you said of not feeling like you didn't deserve or like having some doubts of whether you should be in that space some of these spaces like Latinx majority spaces I've definitely had the same sentiments and I mean like no I don't think I even set foot in the LNAC till like my second semester of college like in my freshman year is just something I wanted to do but I definitely had those same experiences and it's Um, like conversations I've had with other people who maybe have like a mixed background like me 
And even with some people I know who are like third years or upperclassmen and have still like never engaged with those spaces because like you said that um, there's not like a space designated for this type of like mix, this like multiculturalism. But I think it's hard too because on paper like the LNAC and like Alma and stuff like that, like it's not exclusive to like like brown folk, you know, like I think like whiteness blackness everything's like encompassed through it but i think we just like racialize it we're like products of a system that racializes latinx as like brown and spanish speaking all that and i think that extends to how we view these spaces in college as well as us as university as being this product of the same sort of thing if if i'm making sense no, that's, that's like perfect. That's spot on. I think it's like this internalized feeling that you've been told over and over that you have to like overcompensate in order to fit in, in order to like be part of that group. And so like automatically in your mind, you have these perceptions about what this space is and who these people are and if they're going to accept you, if, if you're not, like how you have to portray yourself and behave and act and talk in order to feel like you're part of them. That's kind of like what you had me thinking about. I think, yeah, I think I think about that a lot. And like within spaces on campus too, kind of from like an opposite lens necessarily. Cause like I mentioned, like I um, do like just self-identify as Mexican. So like when I go into spaces and certain things, like I'm like weary of like my identity a lot. And I think that like an example I had an experience here with uh, a queer org where I did not feel like comfortable safe because I am Mexican, right? And I was like, cool, like I do, I, like, I am queer, but I don't feel comfortable here because I'm also Mexican and I felt that like, like that was such a big, a big like importance to me. Um, and I think that that's why I also, like I think I mentioned this in the first podcast where I created Queer Latinidad, where I felt like that was really necessary for me was creating a space where I felt comfortable being queer and Latino versus just queer um, and versus like maybe not just Latino. And I think that I guess like it could be said about the same thing of being like whiteness too. And where I've never been in spaces of whiteness where I felt like I could be also Mexican, if that makes sense, and have like that more than just white experience. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense like there's there's an experience that maybe you can resonate with but there's a nuance to it that someone else that doesn't hold those same identities they're not going to understand that yeah i felt like especially when i first entered these spaces i feel like i i learned very quickly that if i was just like to rely on relating to people's experiences i wasn't going to last long i don't know if that makes sense but I felt like I could still be in those spaces. I could still be myself, even if I didn't relate 100% to these people. And I still like, I feel like I haven't found exactly anyone really who shared my experiences. And I think that's also representative of um, Latinos as a whole. And I think how we kind of assume people, you know, share these things, especially in terms of like Mexican culture and how it's kind of been commercialized to share these like customs but anyway i don't know where i'm going with this chris's typing are obligatory should we wrap up now (laughs) on the google chat you know sometimes like 
Like, I don't want to... I mean, do I want to stop the conversation? Because I'm like, I love it so much. And then I'm like, okay, well, we've been going for a while. We don't want to make the podcast three hours long. Um, right. Because people just wouldn't listen, um, understandably. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'll slowly type in the chat. As quiet as it can be, so the microphone doesn't pick it up, too. <laughs> I'm like, should we wrap up this episode? <laughs> I'm like, I really want to get into gender and, like, expectations and, like, more of those microaggressions. But I'm like, no, that's going to take another 45 minutes, if not, like, two more episodes. So, you're right. Part two? Question mark, question mark. You know, we'd always be down to have Prisma on, so. (laughs) No, but, yeah, like, like Prisma mentioned, there's so many different things that can go into that. And, like, it would just take us a year like i feel like we like even just casually talking about it prism and i and alex have we're talking about it the other day for a full hour and just kept thinking of new things yeah and i think like to alex's point of not being able to find those people really that you can talk to about it and still maybe looking for them i think like i'm constantly looking for those people um and i do have really two really close friends that are biracial and they're not Mexican and white, but they still have really similar experiences um, and also really different ones that we can get into and we can talk about. So I'm really grateful that we were able to have this connection amongst the three of us, um, whether like on paper it looked the same and in, in real life it's totally different or um, there were a lot of overlaps and connections. I'm grateful that we were able to have this conversation and at least get us started for other people in their minds if it's not something they've thought about. Right. And I just want to add that this is in no way, like, trying to be representative of, like, being mixed or being from, like, multiple cultures, even within the lens of, like, Mexican or whiteness and recognizing that there's so many, I mean, like, endless possibilities and experiences that one has in terms of coming from different cultures or having a multi-racial or ethnic background so exactly yeah and that's like a perfect perfect point to say like like us three had a lot of differences already and there are probably people listening who have experiences that are completely different than each of ours and that's okay and that's normal i think that any any type of experience that comes from like culture is normal like it's bound to be different than someone else's with that being said let's wrap up I hope y'all have a good night. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you made it to this episode, this far into the episode. Um, Alex, if you just want to bring up some of the things that we have going on in the next few weeks. Yes, this is always my job, but... um, (laughs) Do you you want me to do it? You want me to do it? I'm not really prepared for it today. (laughs) I don't really know what's coming up immediately. (laughs) Let's look then. (laughs) Actually, in the meantime, while I find out what the LNAC is doing, um, Prisma, do you want to talk about what APAC is doing? And yeah. Yeah. So this Friday, we have an event with um, the Women's Resource and Action Center and the University Counseling Center. And it's going to focus on mental health in the Asian American Pacific Islander community and basically how you can engage in help seeking behavior and what's out there, what resources are available, how to engage with them, and kind of like those little details that you don't know about, but you feel like you should know about. And so we're going to answer all those questions and do that this Friday. We will have um, 
some events coming up here and there, but this semester we're really focused on APAC week. And so the um, theme, and you know, an insider here, no one knows yet, the theme is unpack with APAC. And so it's really unpacking different things that we learned, maybe some history we learned that was inaccurate, maybe some things that families taught us among our generations that we really need to unpack because they can be a little problematic. Um, and then on the lighthearted side, we'll do some cuisine and kind of unpack where cuisine comes from and um, the history behind some of the foods that we eat and maybe how they got to the United States. So we're really excited about that. It'll be the second week of November. We have some guest speakers coming in and everyone's working. Everybody has worked really hard on it. So we're excited to get that going. Cool. So, um, so Alex doesn't have to do it again. <laughs> I looked up on, um, our events coming up. So we have one this Friday, um, the 23rd, and it's reframing the curriculum, a conversation about social justice and Latin XAO studies. Um, and I think that just centers, um, as the topic name is, around social justice um, and the classes and surrounding Latin XAO studies here. Um, and the event after that is Tuesday, the 27th, which is the event I've been talking about, Great Latinidad, Our Fight. Um, and that's where we talk about what it means to be queer and Latino. And then also we'll touch on some activism pieces of the queer Latinx community. Apart from that, I think that is it. Once again, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us, Prisma. We really appreciate it. I know that we both have a lot of love for you. So we really want to so say thank love. you. So much love. I appreciate being invited back. I think there, um... There's kind of disconnect sometimes because I don't go to the LNAC very much, even though that's like my identity is my home. I have my new home in APAC too. Um, and so I, I really value this time with y'all and I'm grateful that you let me intrude on episode three and I'm excited to listen to episode four. Truly, episode four next week. Woo! Imagine a whole podcast. Subscribe, like, tweet post okay we're gonna end this finally thank you again bye y'all bye